2: lex divine not not ryan i shouldn't call you ryan or should i call you lex now
0: i mean this is sort of a kayfabe breaking podcast right so yeah. yeah i mean we're we're sitting next to each other on a couch and in kayfabe uh the most interaction we've ever had is him reading bullying tweets to me in front of a crowd
2: uh uh-huh. okay so we well, don't
0: we're not together and are not like living together in case so. right
2: in in, in 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 the wrestling world that's okay <laughs> so I'm supposed to be italian so you know and 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 i'll have spaghetti tonight but that's about the only thing about me that's that's <laughs> that's actually italian don't tell uh uh monty from monty and the pharaoh he gets so upset at that for some reason monty from monty and the pharaoh thinks that like my pretending that i was italian It's like the most offensive thing that's ever happened in the history of wrestling, and us too.
3: So we have questions from fans, Mm -hmm. and I'm here to answer them, and uh, just I I may blather on and on and on, but I will get to a point eventually with your help. Like
4: my introductions, I will get to a point eventually, and here is the first point I'm going to get to a question, or actually, it's more of a statement slash question. And it says, please ask Dutch. Dutch, do you know who up in New York is talking about you? Uh, Yes.
3: There's there's two answers to that, really. Mm -hmm. One of them, you say, who? And they said, nobody.
4: All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestler and broadcast and the world's number one pro-wrestling broadcast, Monty and the Pharaoh. Duke, you know why we're the number one pro-wrestling broadcast? Um, I asked this to, to Ray before. Do but I We know? don't usually ask a question, but since we're honored to have you in here, I'm going to ask you, do you know why we're the number one? I, you, you've, you've been on everybody's show, right? Everybody loves you. You're a great storyteller, world-famous pro-wrestler, but do you know why we're number one? Uh, because you're hot and sexy? That would be one, but
1: no. That's not the main reason.
4: That is not the main uh, reason. The main reason is because Jim Beam says so. Ah. Uh, you know all these other podcasts, right? They got like Blue Chew, you know. Not knocking Blue Chew. They could end up being a sponsor of us. <laughs> um, do you have Blue Chew as a sponsor of yours? Huh? Is Blue, Spoop, Blue Chew a sponsor of yours? No. All righty. But anyway, any Jim Beam says, right? Because when you sponsor Jim Beam, everybody knows who Jim Beam is. Of course. And that probably just makes us number one. So everybody could say they're number one, but the reality is, guess what? You ain't got a real one. deal
1: sponsor like Jim Beam. That's it, brother. That's it.
4: So, I don't, I don't know. You're not really familiar with the show. I Hopefully, after you enjoy yourself here, hopefully you enjoy yourself here. I'm not sure. I got a fill-in here, but I'll do my best to keep <laughs> yeah. it afloat. Um, <laughs> My partner, Jimmy Farrow, he's in Florida he's uh starting a new life there, so unfortunately they didn't get to meet him in person, but maybe next time you're on, we'll get to introduce you properly um so Jimmy, we love you. I hope you watch. you think Jimmy's watching right now? he might be.
0: I haven't seen him comment or anything he
4: doesn't have a YouTube page dude. You don't no. know that by now. Well, I know he's the only guy like uh, over a year. I you know he know. doesn't have cable I mean <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so that makes sense all right, there you go. Uh today's move, uh, news, man tied to uh, sorry, man tied to suspected shooter in Tupac Shakur's 1996 killing arrested in Las Vegas. Las Vegas police have arrested a man in a deadly 1996 drive-by shooting of Tupac Shakur, a long-awaited break in the case that have frustrated investigators and fascinated the public ever since the hip-hop icon was gunned down in Las Vegas over 27 years ago. Wow, 27 years. Dwayne Keefe D. Davis was arrested early Friday morning, although the exact charges or charge were not immediately clear. According to two officials who first-hand knowledge of the arrest, they were not authorized to speak publicly ahead of the ins- expected indictment. Davis has been long known by investigators and as himself m- admitted to interviews, and in 2019, a tell-all memoir, Compton Street Legend, that he was in the Cadillac where the gunfire erupted during the September 1996 drive-by shooting. Shakur was 25 when he was gunned down. So, here lies the question, gentlemen. Now, here you are thinking you're on a wrestling show, and you're like, now we're going to talk about Tupac Shakur.
1: It's all good,
4: though. Cool. Yeah. So, recently here on Long Island, I don't know if you're familiar, something called the Gilgo Beach Murderers. Mm-mm. Okay, so Gilgo Beach is a beach out east. Oh, no, sorry, probably west from here. um, Where they found numerous bodies of murdered women, you know, know, buried in the beach. And most of them were um, escorts. That case went on for a very long time, was a cold case forever. Uh, About seven, maybe eight months ago, they made a task force to find the murderer after 12 years. Now, 12 years have gone by. And amazingly, within like a five-month stretch, they found the guy, and now he's going to... He's been arraigned, and he's going to go to court and probably go to jail for life. So now, recently, this is why I pulled this article, right? Tupac Shakur has been murdered for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. And now, out of nowhere, they find the murderer.
1: What do you think of that do you think something's up here i definitely think something's up it sounds sketchy to me uh but i don't know maybe they knew for a long time or maybe it was a hit job by people other than just you know other gang members or whatever it was something bigger than that which is what i always thought just because of his platform were
4: you you a fan of tupac shakur
1: i enjoyed yeah definitely enjoyed i listened to to and still do listen to all kinds of music including rap and yes uh I did like Tupac Shakura's music and he it was it was a pretty crazy situation because you know it was so just out there in the public the whole beef they had and everything that was going on with uh you know with Biggie Biggie and yeah and and, then Puffy Combs whatever he was called then but um (sighs) it was just strange that something like that that took that happened out there in the middle of a busy, you know, what, Las Vegas? Las Vegas Boulevard. <laughs> and uh, nobody knew anything. It sounds kind of far-fetched to me. It, 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 there has to be another reason why it took so long, and I don't know, you know. Was well, it just,
4: a- just like you, I, I'm a fan of all types of music, yeah. and Tupac was definitely one of my favorites. In fact... I thought Tupac was uh, one of the great geniuses, music-wise. I don't know him as a human being, obviously. The things that he was accused of or went to jail for probably weren't such great things, for sure. And so, as a human being, I I don't know where I stand on my judgment of him. Um, But as a a goat, maybe, to use the word, Uh, as an innovator, uh, incredible talent... But yeah. what's concerning to me is that, you know, now we're closing cases that have been cold for 14 years, and we're closing them like this. And it just makes me wonder what could be happening in society. I, I mean, I'd hate for you to have a piece of pizza, and then all of a sudden you're the guy that, you know.
1: The pepperoni pizza killer. Right, that, what, yeah, that's exactly. How they, that's how
4: they found that guy, right? They found pizza in a garbage or something? So they, they, they found him as a suspect. They couldn't get hold of his DNA. So they followed him, and then they saw him throw a piece of pizza after he bit in it into a garbage. They got the pizza pizza, and it matched the DNA of all the murdered women on Gilgo Beach. And now they're tying him to other murders that happened in Las Vegas. When they arrested him, he had a whole bunch of guns. You know, again, it's not a felony to have, well, if you allowed to carry right it's not a felony to have guns right i'm not saying the man is innocent
1: i'm just saying that it's odd it is strange because and also he had no run-ins uh recently recent enough with the law that they would have his dna on file because they've been collecting dna for quite a while um on people that are especially felons or whatever but well, it's I think that's strange. why they
4: went and got the pizza, right? Because yeah. they had the DNA of all these women that were murdered and yeah. then needed his DNA to to have this match, per se.
1: Right. And I, I just oftentimes they, they'll take up cold cases like this and they'll pull the DNA evidence and then all of a sudden it, it's a match for something they have in the system because that person kept offending right. and got new charges, doing something down the road that required them to get his DNA, and that's how they were able, able to make a match. But they they had to follow this guy around and watch him eat pizza and in order to get a sample of his DNA. That's pretty crazy. It and, is and crazy. How did they, you know, there's just so many questions. Like, how did they make him as a suspect? And You know.
4: What, he, what are your thoughts on the world today in general? I mean, look, you were a very famous professional wrestler. Again, like we were saying to Ray, you know, you have so many famous athletes in their field. And the three gentlemen, right, Anthony, Ray, and now yourself, you're the elite of the elite, okay? You, you made the show. If you're in the WWE, you've made the show, and you're the elite of the elite. You know, um, that's something all of you guys should be proud of. Um, different time back then. You're in today's world. Like, what bothers you as a human being? If anything
1: bothers you, you may love it. I don't know. Oh, man, it's so much. You hear this often, too. It's just everybody, it just seems like the world has gone crazy with being oversensitive. And and that turns into so many other things. And then you have, you know, like what they call cancel culture born out of that. And I think it's just all crap. And it's just we have swung so far. Like we always talk about if they had social media and cell phones with cameras when some of us were in the business. <laughs> Woo, brother, I'm going to tell you what, there's no telling what they could come up with on us because we were crazy, I mean crazy, and it was just a different time. And and um, now it's a situation where you can't even, in most situations, you can't express yourself or have an opinion that's different than... The majority of people, apparently, or I don't even think it's the majority, I just think it's the loud minority of people that are can't, trying to cancel individuals because of what they think or believe, and it's just, I, I do, I think there's a lot of problems in the world today because of that, you know, the, the social justice warriors and all of that, and all the... Ins- so are you trying to say because someone has this
4: social media and they don't, look, you come in here someone goes, don't know what he does, don't know who he is, right, but he's something. You know, for the professional wrestling fan goes, that's a professional wrestler, right? I mean, I shook your hands, I think, you know, I, I got decently sized hands, I'm not a small guy, <laughs> and it's like, I think your hand swallowed my hand, right? <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, now this, this dude is a wrestler. Um, but do you think now today's society, since social media is so easy, like, look, Let's be honest. You may we may disagree, but I'm sitting here eight feet from you. I ain't gonna come challenge you on our disagreements, <laughs> right? But now people are on the other phone, and I, you you even said, right? Can you tell people out there your
1: are I'll call it a podcast if that's what it is? Yeah, I do uh, trash cam live. Yeah, yeah. On uh, it's right now. It's on Facebook and YouTube uh, mainly, also Twitch, but. It's on Duke the Dumpster Official, but yeah, we just get on there, and, we, and I'll tell you what, I'm still of the belief, or the way things were, where I talk some shit, and so, I just say things the way I want to say things. So my point is, you have to have haters then, right, that come on oh, and I'm, say, I,
4: From time to time, yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
4: Now, do you believe those same haters, if they were sitting in this room right now and disagreed with whatever you were saying on your show,
1: would dare say what they say to you on social media to your face? No. Never. Absolutely not. Not a chance at all. (laughs) That's just the way it is. It's given people this comfortable platform to talk crap about what they don't like And, uh, and it's even you know one or two steps further than that when you look at these situations where you see these little arguments happening between other people on social media like I'm gonna tell you right now I hate to admit it, but I've become addicted to TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> That's my go-to news source these days, TikTok. Right. But anyway, these people get on there and they they what, what, the Democrats what? and the Republicans on there go head to head and start yelling at each other in the comments. And if somebody says something just the wrong way, where it can be twisted and you can make a claim that this person's a racist or a something or a sexual deviant, or they go crazy digging up everything they can get on individuals. That's the difference. Right. So much instant ac- accessibility. What's um, the longest you've gotten caught in TikTok
0: before looking up? <laughs>
1: I'm going to have to plead the fifth on that. <laughs> uh, you're talking like. I, I
4: think the better question here, man, is this. You mentioned Facebook, Twitch, TikTok. Where does Pornhub rank in your <laughs> website list? I, I, what
1: is that? What kind of website is that?
4: <laughs> lies. Liar. Is
1: that a, is that a, is that a Wow, podcast? you come in here and you lay is lies a on the shelf. <laughs> Everybody knows XNXX. Not Pornhub.
4: <laughs> it's one of my favorite sites, Silence. i got to be honest with you. Ranks over TikTok. <laughs> I'd like to thank the band that sings the theme song for Monty DeFarro and Jimmy Farrow. Along with his partner, Bark Riggs, make up the band Wisteria Hall. Wisteria Hall sings such great songs as In My Dreams, this life not far behind. Here Comes the Rain. You can find their music on the Wisteria Hall YouTube page. What do you do there, Bruce? You download. No. Well, those three oh my downloads? God, Jimmy! Oh yeah, my you God! You hit like you had and one subscribe, job, and then once you're done liking and subscribing, oh, go and you go to the it. Monty and the Pharaoh page. And what do you do? You like and subscribe there. Of Thank course. you. And then where do you go after that? Well, Facebook, all the other. No. All right. You had What's one. What's the job. man's podcast?
1: <laughs> yeah, come check us out on uh, Saturdays at. Uh... Are you
4: on YouTube? Yes. Yes. And what do you do when you go to his podcast? We're gonna like and subscribe. Thank of you, Bruce, and Thank hit you. the bell
1: so you can get notifications whenever it comes on. Very good. See, come sit over here. Let's go
4: over there. Holy shit! You're fired. Put down. Download with Cyril Hall's That's... music on Spotify, uh, Apple oh, Music, I was, Reverb I, Nation. and was ahead you of know it, You're watching the world's <laughs> number one pro-wrestle broadcast, Monty DeFaro. Catch us on the Monty DeFaro YouTube page, the Monty DeFaro Facebook Live page. here on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Anchor. Catch us on the Monty DeFaro Twitch TV page. And if you're lucky enough to live in New York, channel 115 every Tuesday at 9.30 p.m. and Saturday at 11.30 a.m. And channel 20, Tuesdays at 7 p.m., where over 150,000 viewers We'll see this icon on our couch in a reduced version. And if that's not enough to catch a show, you can go to the free network. I don't know if you've ever heard of this network, but it's new. It's challenging Netflix. It's called Intuitive, I-N-2-I-T-I-V-E, Network. It's for free. You can watch movies. You watch documentaries. You have music videos. And you get to watch Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast. The world's
0: number one wrestling broadcast.
4: We'll be back with this wrestling icon. And we just found out that he is a podcast master. And his number one website is Pornhub, even though he lied about it. Duke the Dumpster Drosy. what we have listed over Duke here. Duke the Dumpster Drosy. And you're supposed to say. We'll be right back. Thank after you. This. Yes, sir ah. manscape uh-huh uh you know have you tried the new equipment that's been sent i'm afraid because it says weed whacker <laughs> i'm scared maven manscape what are you thinking about Manscape, dude love what it what do you use it for
2: necessity what what don't i use it for put it this way <laughs> the only hair i have on my entire body is these eyebrows yeah that oh. you see these wow. caterpillars racing to the middle of my nose that's it <laughs> that is it <laughs> that's all that's all
4: i have and that's all i want That's the So manscaped is a must. We were talking before the show, there's nothing worse than just hair. Yeah. Right? Hair on a woman, hair on a man. It's just bad. Absolutely. And it's the one thing that the older I get, it starts growing more in unwanted areas. Absolutely. I hate it. I'm going to ask you a question. Uh Uh-oh. Just going to go out there. Oh, boy. Go for it. You're doing a deed. Yes. (laughs) Again, I (laughs) don't want you to have to admit this because we... As men, we try not to admit this, but if you're going to go do oh, the deed what, on a woman, I know would what you rather have her be hairless or a little hair, racing stripe, or <laughs> racing stripe. full retro bush? Racing well, <laughs> stripe. Retro bush is out. Yes, thank you. Retro bush is out. Yeah.
2: Um, I don't mind a small, well-manicured landing strip. <laughs> Every now and then, if it's completely, and I'm talking like baby's ass bald. Mm. Then I, I start, where is that pedophilia line that I'm, that I'm, I don't, I don't wow. want to wander into that. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. Like that.
4: I never thought about wow. that. You're a smart dude. Holy uh, shit. So
0: if the landing strip is clean enough for the plane to go in smoothly, you're cool with that?
2: If the landing strip is, has, like I said, well manicured, yeah. you yeah. can see both sides. It's not. Like blinking lights on both sides of that I landing? just don't, I don't want, you know, I don't want the shrubbery going off into yeah. unwanted areas on that as Gotcha. Well. Oh, yeah, look but what you found. Ooh, I gotta be all gotcha. honest though. Hey, the, <gasps> the, the older I get though, I don't, I think I don't think I can be as. Uh, I as, found
4: as, it. I found have it. Have you ever gone down there and like just like you, she slowly brings down the underwear? that what is? It? Retro, Just absolutely. You Retro. Like, Whoa, wow, yeah, like it like pops Do you like
2: walk out or what do you do? No, I, tr- I muster through. I muster up the <laughs> you courage to get a <laughs> Trooper, yeah. he's a trooper. <laughs> gotta give him a yeah, name. not all, all, not all heroes wear capes. Yeah, there I know. you I couldn't, I couldn't say, bush.
4: I couldn't say. Well. If you have the same beliefs as Maven does, Manscaped could help you. Absolutely. The Weed Whacker. Absolutely. What are you thinking? I'm thinking that I may have to, like, you know, go in a room, close the door, and hang out with the Weed Whacker for a little while. Yeah, I think you're a retro guy, aren't you? I like 70s adult films, if that's what you're getting. Huh? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, with that, Ron, we're going to take a quick Batman. commercial break, and we'll anyway. be back with this wrestling icon, Maven. We will see you in a dropkick second. Uh-huh. A dropkick second. All right, welcome back to the world's number one pro wrestler broadcast, Monty DeFaro, where we're joined by this pro wrestling icon, Duke the Dumpster Drossy. <laughs> so you. how does it feel after all these years? You, you're still doing virtuals. Fans are pouring in over the internet. Now you're going tomorrow to, I think, what, 80s, 80s con or 80s 90s? icon? 90s wrestling con? 90s wrestling con, sorry. Oh, sorry. How, how does that feel? you can to have all these fans clamoring for your autograph, <laughs> clamoring for your picture. <laughs>
1: clamoring. <laughs> it feels great. I will say that. Um, you know, it's it's interesting that fans, a lot of fans that were not necessarily there during those years are coming out now and in sort of a nostalgic way, they're learning about those those t- time periods in wrestling, and it's great to be a part of, and it's great to meet the new fans and all the fans, really. But yeah, they're coming out in force. They want to f- learn about the history of wrestling more and more, it seems, these days. So that is really exciting. And yeah, we, I enjoy doing these conventions and stuff.
4: Have you ever, had, like, what was the most um, emotional time that you met a fan? Like, did you ever have a fan say, hey, look, you just, you changed my life, or? anything to that level
1: yes um there have been actually situations uh, another podcast that I do on Friday is, is called the recovery podcast it's uh, to help individuals with a lot of uh, the time with substance abuse issues and things like that and from time to time people get in touch with me and they'll say look you pulled me out of that that dark place and I really appreciate it uh, You know, your your positive outlook and, you know, your kind of motivation has got me going in the right direction. And I've been off of drugs for X amount of time. And that's always good to hear because it's just such a miserable existence that it was really good to be able to, you know, affect people in that way. Um, You know, that is a great feeling. And also, sometimes people come up and just talk about what they remember about my career back in those days or somebody that i wrestled and they'll they'll pull out these little kind of points and 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 you know little specifics about a situation and it'll make i'll be amazed i'll be you remember that Mm. it's like yes it's like these little things so people really you know when you're in the middle of it oftentimes when you're in a position of being like an opening card or mid card type wrestler you don't necessarily feel like maybe the fans are really attaching to you as a a talent or a superstar you're like well yeah I'm just I'm one of the guys but I'm I'm not one of the top guys that they you know really love to come watch but then here we are you know almost 30 years later and people will come up and talk to me about things that I did you know during my wrestling career and I'm just amazed sometimes it just I'm stunned that they were really paying that close attention and they cared that much. That means a lot. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's an, it must be an incredible
4: feeling. Yeah. You know, not, not to go to the negative, but I think it's we, we should talk about it because we come out the other side sure. eventually, obviously you were an athlete, huge man, great shape. How does a guy with the talents of yourself, fall down that rabbit hole
1: of addiction? Man, I'll tell you what, it's back in those days when we were wrestling in the, the early to mid-90s, it was it was difficult because number one, it was long road trips, long, you were on the road for long periods of time and you were killing yourself for very little money. There was not a lot of money in the business during the new generation era and um, and you get injured. And you know the, the un, unspoken rule is if you get hurt don't tell nobody because you're gonna get if, you, if you're taken off the road you're not if if you're not wrestling you're not making money back then and because um, there weren't a lot of guaranteed contracts really at all then and uh, you start to get wrapped up in when you start to get more, a little bit more serious injuries then you start to self-medicate and you get on I mean, any professional wrestler will tell you we could all walk into a doctor's office tomorrow and let them X-ray our spines and our hips and our shoulders, and get put on ten different types of painkillers. There's no doubt because we look like we've been in a car accident, you know, fifty times over. So you, if you allow it to happen, you can get sucked into that, that lifestyle where. You need something to feel. You feel like you need something, which is a narcotic, to feel good enough to do your job. And then it becomes you need something to go work out hard, like you know you need to work out in the gym. And then go, and you need something to get in the ring and wrestle. And then it becomes you need something just to get out of bed, to be able to start the day. And then again to go to the gym, and again to go to. The, and then it becomes you need something. To help you go to sleep. And start all over tomorrow. And it becomes this vicious cycle. And the only thing. That kept me hanging on. As long as I did while I was still in the business. Was the. You know. The organization of it all. It's like you have to be here. To wrestle this. You got to get on this loop. You got to get a rental car. You got to show up at this building. And do these promos. And all of that. All of that stuff kept me, it was regimented, and it kept me in a routine so I was functioning, as they say. But then as soon as it was gone, because it got to the point where it got so out of hand that my behavior was becoming very erratic, and I was saying stupid things like the Vince and how unhappy I was, and I was frustrated. And So when they ended up sending me home, boy, you could do the the the, the reins were dropped, and the horse was horses were free, and it was nonstop, you know. And it just it just snowballed, and it became a massive problem. And uh, yeah, it was 1996. I went home. 2003, I moved to Tennessee from Miami, Florida. I moved to Tennessee and went to rehab the first time and um that long I was in the hole yeah from 96 to 2003 I was in th- this pit of hell of just everyday you know I once heard Scott Hall say this on his on that 30 for 30 special he did he goes you know I'm not going to say drugs aren't fun cuz you know in the beginning drugs are fun mm-hmm. there's a lot of aspects of it and parts of it is fun but then it gets to the point where you have to have it you cannot go without it you need it just to feel normal and that's where the, this, the illness the sickness comes in and it's it's just a miserable existence you know and it was and that's how I kind of went down that as you said the rabbit hole I went yeah it just spiraled out of control um, and I'm one of the lucky ones because a lot of my former co-workers are no longer with us because of those same problems right so yeah I've been very fortunate in that respect. Unfortunately, I didn't fully get it. I made it like seven years clean and uh, because of a foot injury, I I relapsed and went so deep so fast that I got in trouble with the law. And when I got arrested, which was 2013, when I got arrested, that's when I realized something has to change because I lost everything again. You lose everything over and over and over. and, And the people you love start to move away from you and and you lose the things that you worked so hard for and and by 2013 I was a school teacher and I was really good at it and when I started taking painkillers because of a foot injury it was over. Lost it all. Yeah. Wow. So but yeah I, I caught charges and got felony convictions and and I just decided you know I'm gonna go to rehab and get off of drugs physically clean and sober and then I'm gonna do everything I could possibly do from that point forward to stay clean and sober and learn everything about this so I can function and maintain every day and work on it because the first time around when I got clean I was clean physically and I said okay I'm good now I'm gonna go work on getting a new career which is what I did and I didn't think about addiction issues ever again. It's a mistake. See, us, any, any addict in recovery will tell you we have to maintain on a daily basis somehow. And it doesn't have to be a battle. It doesn't have to be difficult, but you do have to maintain it. And a big part of what I do now is I work with other people who are going through the same situation. And with the court systems where I live, I work for what's called a drug court or a recovery court and a mental health court. And we just try to offer something other than just locking people up. Help, you know. And um, that's become my passion in life. I never thought I'd have another passion in life after wrestling. But I found one. Because, you know, the whole process of getting clean and sober, it it showed me that happiness is possible in life. You don't have to stay stuck. Mm. You know, there's always hope. You just have to open your mouth and ask for help. And uh, that's what I try to teach people every day, man. It's just become my life. Great message, man. God bless. Thank you.
4: Hero. Hero. Let me ask you, some of the older wrestling fans or the wrestling experts we'll call them would say, this is why Vince McMahon is evil, right? Because he doesn't take care of the people who have made him a billionaire. Does Vince McMahon owe wrestlers or, or wrestlers like yourself who find themselves in trouble or find themselves in a medical condition that they may not be able to afford, right? Because maybe something went wrong. Does he owe them their recovery? Does he owe them the, you know, lifetime life
1: insurance? What are your feelings on that? That is a good question, and it's a complex question. But I will tell you, I've learned... Through the process of learning about myself over the years, I've learned a lot about the way that I felt about Vince McMahon and the WWF, now WWE, over the years. Because at one time, I was a very bit And there are a lot of wrestlers who end up being very angry and bitter. And I was one of those people that was very bitter and angry about... Not just Vince, because he lied to me about this and that, and it never happened, and blah blah. You hear that story over and over again from people, and I was bitter and angry, and I wanted to blame him and blame anybody else, like Sean Michaels in the click or wh- whoever you wanted to put blame on. And the reality is, years and years later, when I had to finally, when I was in getting into recovery. And I had to take a hard look at myself, I realized a lot of that shit I brought on myself, and I had to take ownership of my part in it. So I can't blame Vince McMahon for the things that happened to me in wrestling. I made a lot of mistakes, you know, and I own those, you know, and I take the I take responsibility for that. He was and is a wrestling promoter. And that's what promoters do. They have, they come up with plans for different situations and different wrestlers and different talent. And some of those things they go through with, and some of them they don't because they change plans. It happens. And I I had to realize that. And the one thing, though, that I used to always think was, how can they not? You know, it's not their responsibility that people became drug addicts either. It's not. But uh, I used to kind of think it would be a good idea if they kind of helped some former workers that did break their backs for the business. And then they came out. um, I don't remember what year the first year was. But, you know, they sent out a certified letter. And uh, I went and picked it up and read it. It was... Anybody who's ever been under contract to the World Wrestling Entertainment or World Wrestling Federation, uh, they would send and pay for for rehab, and they they started that program as part of their wellness program, and I have to respect that. Now I had too much pride to ask them to pay for my rehab, <laughs> yeah. and actually I still had insurance at the time because I I, had, I was a school teacher. I had every you know state insurance and all kinds of stuff. Until I got my license revoked when I, you know, caught the charges and everything. But I I appreciate the fact that they made that effort. That's a big deal. Sure it is. If they offer to send guys to rehab, that means they actually do care. And I know maybe people say, hey, he's just covering his ass. Mm, he Maybe he is. But still, offering rehab is a huge deal to somebody who might not have access to it or doesn't even understand what it is, because they've been so deep in that hell of addiction. Um, given somebody, a lot of times you give somebody that opportunity, and they learn all these, they learn these things about themselves, and they make the changes, so I think that's a huge gift from from them, you know, but so I, in I, that respect, I, res- I I have to say, you know, They have done some things to try and help some of the boys. Because I appreciate you saying that because it's like, you know,
4: for the the average Joe like um, myself or Bruce, right, a lot of companies don't offer that, right? It's like you're on your own. And I, 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 I fail to understand because someone becomes a billionaire because of his vision and he convinces someone to do something or this person wants to do it and he makes a lot of money off of it that he now is... Fiscally responsible for those people. I mean, the real world just doesn't act like that, right? It just no one's fiscally responsible
1: for you, right? No, no. I, I'm, you know, I have to take ownership of all the things I did. I knew what I was getting into. It was like the thing with the the concussion deal. Um, you know, I knew what I was getting into, and I had a lot of concussions before I even went to the WWF. And uh, you know, they somebody approached me. It's funny because. It was after I got busted and I was still on probation. And whoever, one of the lawyers from the, the that lawsuit for the concussion lawsuit tried to contact me through my probation officer. Mm-hmm. I was like, are you kidding me? These people are looking for me for, through the probation? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And uh, I never called them because I, uh, it was the same attitude. I was like... I knew what I was getting into, and I can't blame Vince or the the company for any concussions I had or anything else. I mean, my body is ravaged with injuries. I lost a foot, for God's sakes. Right. You know, but that that was the chance I took, you know. I thought I was invincible at one time. I flew all over the place and landed hard on concrete and, you know, all sorts of other situations many times. But... You know, again, i got to take ownership of my part in that. I was bouncing around like an idiot and jumping around. And I knew what I was getting into.
4: All right, I'm going to ask you this, and then, Bruce, I'm going to let you take over because we're getting Bruce <laughs> Bruce ready oh, good. get this good opportunity. Way. Feel free to rip them apart. Um,
1: how do you feel about GoFundMe pages? GoFundMe pages? Yeah. I think... There is a time and a place for GoFundMe pages. However, I think, like most other things in today's society, they have been abused and misused and overrun with a lot of people that maybe don't need to have GoFundMe pages. Um, so. I,
4: I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to throw something at you. And <coughs> obviously, I want your honest opinion. I'm sorry when i see a guy like jake the snake roberts for example mm-hmm. who's made millions of dollars through his career and he spent it all right right and now he's gonna go have shoulder surgery so he puts out a GoFundMe pages and he expects these wrestling fans and it's it's a large network of people you know you think if every wrestling fan gave a dollar to jake the snake roberts the guy's gonna be a millionaire again right, right. i've got a problem with that i don't I I, I I I just don't agree with it and I'm asking you I'm going to let you continue I'm sorry I interrupted oh. you what are your thoughts about something like that example
1: one of the very difficult lessons I had to learn about myself as I was going through recovery is there's going to be a lot of shit that goes on in the world around me that I don't agree with but I've learned that you know, I've just got to do my, my deal in life and stop worrying. I can't worry because, you know, again, I I didn't, my pride wouldn't even let me use the WWE's money to go to rehab. I could never set up a GoFundMe. I don't, I don't see myself ever being able to do that. So when other people do it, it makes me kind of cringe a little bit. Um, And yeah, I don't, but you know, it's people are gonna do it. I, it's, I don't know. I, for me, it's whew, you know, I I don't know if it's shame or what you call it. I have or have don't have or whatever, but I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't believe it's something I would ever do. Uh, so, and way. I don't. There's a lot. Most of the things I've ever seen on GoFundMe, I wouldn't give money to.
4: By the way, your subscriber count on YouTube just dropped by 5,000. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bam. Go ahead, Bruce. It's all yours, so, big guy.
0: All right. Well, let's take a step back here. So uh, when, when did you actually decide to become a pro wrestler? Uh,
1: well, now you know, you're going to get into the boring shit there, buddy. <laughs> I kind of knew when I was a kid. I was watching championship wrestling from Florida. At the time, and and I just watching that every Wednesday, I would go. They did the live show loop through Florida, and I would go to the Miami Beach Convention Center, and I would stand by the locker room and watch the wrestlers go out and wrestle. And all that, I just I was such a fan. And um, who were your big idols back then? Ric Flair, and I, I back 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 like when I was younger, you know, uh, uh, Black Jack Mulligan when he was in the. When the championship wrestling from Florida, the, I, I I remember the the feud he had with Kevin Sullivan when Kevin Sullivan started the uh, I don't remember what he called it the something I mean, he was the Prince of Darkness and that's when Luna f- first broke into the business oh, there. And he shaved shaved off half of his head and Bob Roop shaved half of his head and and my buddy Abu Dean was part of it and and it was it was that that was that affected me i was like man this is so cool and the purple haze it was so
0: dark but it seemed real
1: it was great yeah i, be, I even though i kind of knew wrestling wasn't necessarily all real in terms of they was it was predetermined kind of i still was i i was into what they were doing
0: yeah i watched that, that video of Ludo shaving her head just seemed surreal it's just almost cultish
1: yeah and uh but, but the, anybody he was in, a, in, a, in an issue with, anything Dusty was doing in those days. And then, of course, then Lex Luger came along when he first broke in and Hiro Matsuda was training him and he did a deal where he was together kind of with Rick Rude. Rick Rude came through Florida for a little while and I just bought all of it, man. I loved it. And um, I kept being a fan and I always wanted to try wrestling moves out in the neighborhood and stuff. And then by the time I got to high school... Um, at some point when I was in high school, that was the same time WrestleMania one started and it happened and, uh, they didn't have pay-per-view then they had closer yep, to close watch yep. it at a, at a, at arena. And I went to the Miami beach convention center to watch it on a big screen with my dad. And I watched in the weeks building up to that, everything with the Mr. T and the Hulk Hogan, match the tag match with the uh, Piper and, and Orndorff and everything that was involved Cindy Lopper, just all of it the way it was presented I realized this is something different this is way different and it's really cool it was like super it was like Hollywood and wrestling combined and during that show during watching WrestleMania one on that big screen I, I stood up and I looked at my dad I go I want to be a professional wrestler and uh, I was already an athlete in high school you know football and wrestling and stuff like that and and uh, that's when I started kind of devising the plan and uh, yeah we actually at some point we had as the wrestling team at the high school as a fundraiser we had the Florida Championship wrestling people come in uh, and do matches in our gym it was like Dusty Rhodes and Barry Windham and Lex Luger and all these guys and my dad went in the locker room and asked around to where there was a school and he found out there was a place really close by in a warehouse with a ring and this guy Bobby uh, the Haitians they the uh, Jamaican jammer Bobby Wales who used to tag with the Haitian sensation Tyree Pratt and Bobby Wales was training people he trained me and he trained Norman Smiley and he trained a bunch of other people that were just kind of coming through but it was we just all showed up every day and Jumped in the ring and started. Well, there was no real, like, organization to it, but there was a lot of good, like, athletes. But that's where I started out. And, and it didn't take too long for me to do my first match and stuff. So, Well,
0: from there, how, how did you end up coming into the WWF?
1: Well, I was going to college at the University of Miami, and I was wrestling on the side, doing some wrestling shows and stuff. And I, I had developed this character down there, the Garbage Man Rocco Gibraltar. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. And I was, because I knew, I was thinking ahead, and I said, if I ever want to get in the WWF and have a chance to get in there, what are they looking for? And I knew at that time they were looking for the, these cartoonish characters. You know, and uh, I just thought about it, and I knew it would be perfect. It's like the you you kind of, the blue-collar, you know, you know hard working man you know common man kind of deal and vince would probably eat that up so i put that together and i started catching doing as much tape on it you know taping all my matches and i put together right as i was graduating college i put together a promotional package with a highlight reel and with a music video highlight reel and a in a an entire match and a promo on the beginning of it and and uh, I got some 8x10 black and white pictures done of Rocco Gibraltar with a garbage can bent over my head, which I still have one of those somewhere, by the way. <laughs> and, it right uh, and a resume. And I, you know, it's funny. I made a bunch of copies, like 30. And I was going to drive around the country and pass them out to promoters at different places, like Memphis. or yeah, Texas, I think, was still running at the time and some other places. And one day I was reading the newspaper in Florida, and it said they were talking. Hulk Hogan was just jumping to WCW as a babyface Hogan, right? The skinny Hogan. Mm-hmm. And, the skinny Hogan. And it <laughs> the was Hogan. the skinny Hogan. I remember. Baby that, I, you know, I
4: thought the same thing. I'm like, oh man, Hulk's skinny Hogan. Skinny I always said, boy. yeah, he was off the
1: off the gear for a while, but. They, it was during the, right when the steroid scandal was starting to fire up, too, and the feds were taking Vince to court and all that, which he ended up beating, of course, but during that whole thing, you know, it was big news that Hogan was jumping, and they had a convention, of all places, they had it at the Miami Beach Convention Center, the Nat P Convention, where you have, like, TV executives Mm -hmm. and stuff, I think, selling shows, basically, and WWF and WCW both had, like, their own little setups, right, and, um, so the newspaper article was interviewing Hulk Hogan about the steroid scandal and stuff. And he had some comments about it and whatever and this and that, you know. And then they said, Vince McMahon, who was also in attendance, had no comment. And at that moment, I realized, Vince McMahon is here in Miami in my backyard. I've got to get in there somehow. So I ended up having a friend that was an executive at a local Channel 2 in Miami, the, the PBS station. He was an executive, so he had credentials to go to the Peak convention. I got his credentials and wore a suit, and I walked right in the front door and walked right up to Vince at the at his booth, and didn't give myself time to chicken out of it. And I pitched him. I said, I'm Mike Drosy, and I'm a professional wrestler. I've been wrestling here around Miami and Florida for the last on and off the last nine years. And, and I just graduated from college, and I would like to come work for the World Wrestling Federation. And Vince just he looked at me. He was like, whoa. And he said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He goes, graduated college? I said, yes, sir. He goes, then why do you want to do this? I said, well. Mr. McMahon, you know, in life, I think a lot of people have two possible routes. They go to school and prepare for life in that way and eventually maybe work a nine-to-five job and they do their best and do the things that you have to do in life uh, to be successful. And then there's your dream. And I said, wrestling in the World Wrestling Federation is my dream. And it always has been. And I, I would like to go after that first before I do, try anything else. And he just, you know, he loved that answer. And uh, I said, it's your early, earliest convenience. If you could possibly look at this, I would really appreciate it. All my information is on there. You can get in touch with me. And he goes, I'll absolutely do that.
4: <laughs> and now, did,
1: now, did you believe him at the point that like, oh, he's going to throw this in the trash? I, no, I didn't. I think I, that... You know, what's interesting is probably two weeks before that, they did a house show at the James L. Knight Center, and the agent was George Animal Steel, mm-hmm. and I went in and crashed that and walked in there with a package and gave it to him. He goes, I'll make sure this gets to the right people, kid. Yeah. I'll do it, kid. <laughs> and uh, I don't think that ever got anywhere because, interestingly, nothing ever came of it. And But then when I walked up to Vince and handed it to him one week later... J.J. Dillon called. Holy cow. And they said, we want to bring you up for a tryout. And as soon as I walked in the door at the TV taping, one of the first guys to come walking up was George Animal Steel. Hey, I told him all about you. Yeah, sure you did. Sure <laughs> you did. But, yeah, I handed it to Vince. And, you know, Vince is a, a shrewd but smart businessman. If, if nothing else, well, he's a lot of other things, too. And he's a hell of a promoter. He's probably one of the greatest, the greatest promoter, arguably, of all time. But if he sees a potential opportunity, you know he had to at least take a look at it, right? So the interesting thing about it is I think more than just Vince, because Shane McMahon came to me, up to me at the tryout match up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and he walked up. I didn't even know who he was, but he shook. I was, Of course, I was being nice to everybody because I didn't. I was just happy to be there shook his head and he goes, hey, who did your tape? And I I looked at him and I started laughing. I said, me and my brother with two VCRs and an eight track recorder, (laughs) we just took, I had like 50 VHS tapes and I went through each and every one meticulously and I scripted it with counter numbers of moves I wanted to use and I created a script of a uh, highlight video. And I put that together, and it, it just turned out to be really cool with power slams and press slams and boom, all this stuff I was doing. And Then me, so somehow me and my brother decided to put Cool Modi's I Go to Work over it. And it turned out so <laughs> cool by dumb luck. It was so cool. And, but yeah, it was two VCRs, and I just kind of took each one by one. I took the clips and put them onto one master tape. And we put it together, and then we stuck a, a match on the end of it and a promo on the beginning of it, and that was it.
4: And here you're there. I want to ask you this, first as the fan, because you mentioned it when you were discussing you know, WrestleMania One. Does Cindy Lauper deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, and is she the one that changed the face of pro wrestling?
1: Yes and no. Yes, she deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. No, she didn't change the face of pro wrestling necessarily, but she was part of it. Um, and for that, she deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I, I you know, I mean, they have a, they have, a celebrity wing as they call it in a in a Hall of Fame that doesn't physically exist, but a celebrity wing. I think they should have a gimmick wing. Damn it. Yeah, that's. I agree. That's what I think. I agree. Why does that have to be a gimmick wing? I think. <laughs>
4: all right. Now, listening to you talk about Vince, and I don't want to make this all about Vince, but I see this. Respect, but disrespect, like you don't like him.
1: Well, I mean, I i couldn't work for him. Well, let me ask you
4: this. When Vince had a has had some really a strange couple of years, right? Became a really super billionaire, sold his company, but also was sued for sexual harassment. Um, when you heard the sexual harassment suit against Vince McMahon, what were your thoughts? Were you shocked, or were you like... I knew that was common
1: I would say I was not completely surprised you know I I, he's a very powerful man powerful individual but more important though than that is in situations like that I've learned one of the big things I've learned about myself is when I see somebody in a situation like that um, in some way It humbles me because at one point I was in a very low, dark place and it wouldn't take much for me to be right back there. Mm. And so when I see people going through situations like that, I've learned that the proper response is to not enjoy or revel in the fact that they're suffering because Lord knows I suffered a lot and I hope nobody would have enjoyed that. And, um. But it does me no good because honestly, if you take some delight in somebody else's misfortune, that is a form of resentment. You're showing resentment towards that person, and if you hold resentment in inside of you and in your heart about somebody or some situation, it just makes you sick internally. It makes you mentally sick sometimes, and I, I that was a big lesson I had to learn. I mean,
4: I mean that's that's a great out, and you know that's a very hard. Uh,
1: role to play
4: right i I mean god holding anger and it's you know i have trouble with it every day sure speaking of that right and again i don't know your relationship with them but you were at the time when the click was evolving within pro wrestling how did the
1: click treat you i always got along with them i got along with everybody but at the same time i did harbor at that time. Uh, some bitterness towards them because they were getting all the opportunities. They had all the power. They had Vince's ear. And my response back then was to be bitter and angry. And I'm sure I even complained about it a bit in front of some other people maybe or other wrestlers, and which probably wasn't good for me as well. But uh, I never had problems personally with them. Uh, I used to go out to the bars and party with them. Like, Lord knows... I carried Sean out of a few bars, and me and me and Scott Hall partied many times till the sunlight came up. And um, and you know, but they, you know, they would go out and party with me, but they wouldn't necessarily do business with me. They wouldn't wrestle me.
4: Were you around the time when Michaels got beat up by those Marines in the bar? So we had Shane Douglas in a while ago, and he tells a story like he just didn't even believe it. He says a bunch of bullshit. What do you know about that situation? What did you hear within the locker room?
1: Well, you know, depending on who it was, you got a different story. Like the people that were really bitter and hated the click, they, they would come up with all kinds of stories that you know, they thought happened. I actually sat down right after it happened. I was sitting at a table. I think it was like we were eating before the show at catering, and it was me and Kevin Nash and Sean, I believe i think i'm pretty sure that's who it was and we were sitting there and sean was kind of just telling you know he was talking to kevin about it but also me i was sitting there and I, I remember looking at him because there was a few times i got him out of situations like that in bars where he would be fucking with people and pissing them off right and um i remember telling him i go well if i was on that loop with you you wouldn't have happened now, I don't know if that's the case or not. But no, they I, were telling me I, I tend a... to agree with you by the way. I would I would think it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I don't know what the deal was with the kid and, and Davy boy who were supposedly there when it happened or what happened with that. I don't know. But I know the story is they kept saying it was like nine guys or six guys or something and um but I could very well see it happening because I saw him try to pick a fight with like six guys one time in a bar when I was there. And uh, I kind of dragged us all out of there as quick as I could. But I don't know the real story, maybe necessarily. I think it's maybe somewhere in the middle of what happened, really, or maybe it wasn't nine guys. Some people say it was only a couple of guys. I don't know. Well, if
4: you ask Shane Douglas, he said it was, like, one guy, and he was, like, four
1: or eight. <laughs> <laughs> I just... I, but Shane doesn't like Sean either because the click really did him dirty.
4: Do you think they did him dirty? Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. How come? Because he was a great talent and a great wrestler, and uh, he could have done great things at that company. It's just he was dead in the water before he even got started because he rubbed somebody the wrong way, like one of the click boys or something. That's, I mean,
4: when we had Scott Hall in, Scott wasn't very complimentary of him. He said he was heard all these great things about him, but he was small and he was slow
1: and he really couldn't wrestle. history, him. though. You know, it's when the guy came in, you know, certain people were all excited about working with him because he is a talent. He was great. Yeah. A great wrestler and still is, I'm sure. But, you know, things went the way they did and everybody creates their narrative later on as to why it happened. And, you know, a lot of times people will say things that justify their position. So, um, but I, again, I believe the truth is probably somewhere in the middle there. Right, yeah. But, uh, I do know Shane came in and there was a lot of, potential opportunities for him to work with a lot of the top guys and I don't know something happened and he just he rubbed somebody the wrong way like he didn't jump into their reindeer games or something right away and maybe they just were turned off to him and from that point you're done back then you'd be done because they would I mean, I've even heard them say they would tell Vince to starve people, which means you're hardly ever booked, you're not getting paid, and that happened. I saw that. I mean, hell, I think it even happened with me, which I don't know why, because I wasn't a threat to any of them. I was nowhere near them on the card. But I do know, you know, when, when, uh, when Shane Douglas came in, Everybody knew he was a good worker, a great worker. So that, that goes back
4: to my original question, then, right? It's like you know, you like, you know, you forgive, you don't harbor that pain, but think about it. You're a huge guy, right? You had a good-looking guy, right? Probably they could have done a, maybe a better gimmick with you, but I thought the gimmick was fine. You also now have relationship. You just said you've dragged them out of bars, you've ate a catering with them, and then you hear that they're stomping you out. I mean, how do you forgive that? I mean, a potential million, million million-dollar career
1: destroyed by four guys. Just because things went a certain way and I think maybe something happened doesn't mean it necessarily did happen. But even if it did, even if it did, you know, one big thing that I realized as I look back on the years that I was there um, and the things that that happened to me and the things I went through again a lot of it was of my own doing and i realize now that no matter what's going on or how bad things can seem there are certain things you can do to get yourself over especially when they put you on live tv mm-hmm. i mean look at what rocky my via did and he yeah. had a lot of heat with people like the click and stuff early on but he turned it around because he persevered because he got himself over you know steve austin you know, he was he was just drolling along in mid card status in the beginning and then he really started to kind of break out and, and show his personality and he got himself over. Um, hindsight being twenty twenty, I wish I had understood that part of the business. I didn't. I took everything personally and I thought somebody else should be pushing me. I thought the office needs to be pushing me. You hear that a lot with people that are bitter. But, uh, again, if they weren't pushing me, I should have pushed myself. Right. I realized that much later on. It took a long time. But, yeah, I was bitter and full of regret for a long time. But, you know, things happened the way they did. Because I, I, I've told uh, from time to time I will speak to Steve Austin. Oops, I just dropped the name. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I said, he, he asked me if I had any regrets. And I told him, I said, yeah, I got There are certain regrets, but, um, you know, I was clueless when I was there. I admit that. Mm. And I'm fine with that. I was clueless. Um, I once heard Bruce Pritchard say Duke was too nice for the wrestling business. I guess I was. Maybe I was. You know, I I wanted to be friends with everybody. And Sean used to kind of laugh at that. He'd say, you know, you you can either make friends in this business or you can make money. Right. But not both. Well, I wanted to be friends with everybody and have fun while we were all doing this thing. That's right? right. kind of not how it worked, you know, completely. So it took me a long time to realize those things. Well, i got to get you out of here. Okay. I, I mean, I could literally talk this interview for five hours.
4: I mean, unbelievable. We're going to hit you with the Pharaoh's final question. Uh-oh. Pharaoh's not here. The last two Gosh. interviews, Bruce's. Is... Believe me, I noticed Pharaoh's not here. Man. Right, I, I understand. <laughs> Bruce has... Jacked this up a million times. Uh, Eric, <laughs> you want to come in and promote your stuff real quick? Sure. ESS, we'll ladies and gentlemen. Um, where do you want
3: me to sit?
4: Like right next to
3: Mike? Is mic It'll pick you up,
4: Look right? He'll be good. big time.
1: Look at big time here. Is
4: there run, a mic? Go. Run.
1: Oh, run. Run. run Did run, you ever hear Eric run, Sims run? Do you mind if I dance with <laughs> your date?
3: God damn it, motherfucker.
1: Dang, dude. Why you got curse, bro? Yeah. All right, Eric. How about it? it. All
4: right,
3: it's no BS. It's your cult hero. It's E-S-S. Of course, we're here with Duke the Dumpster Drosy, and you're going to see him along with T.L. Hopper, Dirty White Boy, and my boy, Doink the Clown. You know, you got the Garbage Man, the Plumber, and the Clown. Oh, my. 90s Wrestling Con tomorrow, Rockaway Mall at uh, Rockaway, New Jersey, and uh, be there. Come on. It's no BS. It's your cult hero, it's ESS.
4: Real quick before the final question, one more question from me, Mike, to you yeah. is being around Vince, right? And your discussion, you mentioned that you've seen Shane and stuff like that. How was Shane and Vince's relationship that you could see? Shane
1: McMahon? Yeah. Uh, it was very interesting, actually, because. When I first met Shane, as I said before, I didn't know who he was. I didn't realize he was a McMahon because I didn't know the Mc, you know who was in the McMahon family right. and he used to revert refer to Vince as Vince. He didn't call him dad, right he called him Vince and I and when I realized he was his son like weeks later, like when I went in to do my uh, vignettes, he produced my vignettes in the beginning. It was during that process I realized, oh my God, this is Vince's son. I'm glad I didn't say anything stupid. <laughs> and uh, but he was still t- calling him Vince. But uh, it was just interesting that w- he was he was kind of learning each part of the company. And at that point, when I came in, he was in the studio. But but he was like an employee. He wanted to be an employee because he wanted to learn mm. everything about each aspect of the company. So, yeah, that's how I met him. But, it, uh, you know. The, the reason
4: I bring it up is when Maven was in here, Maven said that Triple H was the son that Vince always wanted. Would you agree with that comment?
1: Maybe. I mean, I, there there were definitely later on after I was gone, it seemed like there was a, a rift between Shane and Vince where Shane even left and went and did other things. So that. It should tell you something, I guess. But yeah, there you go.
4: Yeah. All right, Pharo's final question. Let's hope he... Can
3: I plug one other thing? Please? Sure, sure you can. The gimmicks of the 90s tour rolls on, uh, not only exactly, Saturday, but Sunday. So if you can't make 90s wrestling con, we're going to beat the wrestling universe in Queens, New York. Duke the Dumpster Drossy, Teal Hopper, Dirty White Boy, Doink the Clown, Miss Jacqueline, and who else knows who's going to show up? It's 11 to 2 at the Wrestling Universe in Queens, New York. And if you you know about the Wrestling Universe, you'll know where to go to come see these stars if you can't make it to the 90s Wrestling Con tomorrow.
4: Eric, is it true that I heard that you're going to sell signed toilet plungers at this event? They're
3: in the car.
4: you damn right. The toilet,
3: <laughs> they are in the car. So... T.L.
4: Hopper will sign the plungers. Listen, uh, uh, fine, I get it. But here's what I—I'm
3: I, I said I couldn't find garbage cans for the dumb for the garbage man to sign.
1: I, Ace Hardware. What are you talking about? Yeah. I brought this.
3: I, <laughs> I, I didn't look I brought it. I brought
1: this water. up
4: the rain. Here's the garbage question. can right next to you. Pe- people collect stuff, right? Baseballs, right? Signed baseballs, signed magazine, whatever. With all due respect, who's going to put a plunger in their man cave sign? Like, who's going to do that? Uh, uh, a true I'll, wrestling
0: I'll a toilet
1: fan. Toilet, a,
3: a true a wrestling fan is going to do that.
0: Until their toilet's plugged.
1: I have six off of, the of them. So, Mike, we're you, gonna you, take a you think, with six you of think them. it's a good idea? Well, you know, let me just say this. You know what my last match was in the WWE? TL Hopper. TL Hopper. And you know how it ended? He plunged you. plunged <laughs> you. <laughs> Where? In the face. <laughs> in the face. <laughs> yes. So, I've got a special relationship with the plungers. Yeah, me and the plungers. You're okay with it. Yeah. Special
3: I relationship with the plumber and the plunger. I've got
1: a I've got a, a whole shrine to T. L. Hopper at my house. Uh he doesn't know this though. I hope he doesn't hear me, but yeah. uh, here, here we come. I was I was I, I before I came on this trip, I was at home just rocking back and forth going, I get to see TL Hopper. We get <laughs> to the plunger in my face. I can't wait to see him. He's not going to be ready for me.
4: That's great. All right. Farrell's final question. Let's see if you can get one out of three.
0: Here. All right, all right. So you name dropped a little bit before with, uh, with Steve Austin. Now, uh, I read somewhere that back when he was coming into the WWF uh, as the ringmaster, that you had a little bit of an issue
1: doing a job for him? I refuse to do a job for Stone Cold Steve Austin, arguably the greatest professional wrestler of our time, yes. But no, yes, he was. Here's the deal. Um, I told you I was very frustrated. When you started the WWF back in those days, you signed for an initial two year deal. No guarantees, really. It was just a chance to work there. And if you made it through those two years, you could re sign for one year. Well, right as my two years was coming up, they weren't really using me much. I wasn't getting booked. They were killing me on TV. And I was pissed. And my contract, the initial contract, was about up. And I came into TV one day. And at that point, I wasn't even bringing my bag in the building anymore because I was never on TV. And, and out of the blue, they said, Ah, Duke, you need to go get dressed. You're going to uh, wrestle the new guy. And the new guy at that point was this guy, Steve Austin. Oh, I knew Steve, who Steve Austin was. And they were calling him the ringmaster. And this was one of his very, if not his very first match. And I just remember like feeling this... In the pit of my stomach, this sickness of, you know, these sons of bitches have not not had me wrestling on TV for the last however many months, and now they want to just pull me back in and kick my ass once again. I was like, I'm sick of this. And then, of course, I was kind of riding with Bret Hart at the time, and I was sitting next to him in the locker room, and he just looked at me and he goes, I'd refuse to do it. And I went, I can do that? He goes, I would. <laughs> so I went and talked to Bruce Pritcher and I said, look, I don't know what you guys want me to do, but you guys are killing me, so I don't know if uh, I think maybe I need to leave or something. Cause, and he goes, wait, don't do anything. Let me go get Vince. And he's like, I, I had this feeling like, oh, my God, they want me. He doesn't. He doesn't want me to leave, right? No. So Vince talked to me. Vince talked to me the next day. At length, we spoke. And I told him what I really wanted to do. And I wanted to turn heel and do all these things. And he goes, we're going to do it. Absolutely, pal. You got it. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Good invitation. And uh, I was excited. And signed the one-year rollover. Still no guarantee. Just a bullshit chance again. Signed it. And literally, the ink wasn't even dry. And they were... Jobbing me out to people on TV again. (laughs) Oh, man. They got me to re-sign. You know, because what little bit of money they did put into me, they wanted to have a return on it by, you know, letting me put people over or whatever. But, yeah, as soon as I signed that, and I remember it was, you know, I was really just pissed. I I remember going home and calling my mom, and I told her what happened, and she goes, she, she, she was just disgusted. She goes, oh, Michael. Don't ever, ever believe a word any of them say ever again. Mm. And I, you know, I held on to that for a long time. I was like, I can't, I can't trust any of these people. And it, it just, like I said, spiraled out of control and got a lot worse. But yeah, and we still laugh about that to this day. I always rib him. I go, I, I wouldn't do a job for you when you first came in. <laughs> <laughs> One of my stellar. You know, one of the stellar moves in my illustrious career is not putting over the greatest pro wrestler, arguably, of all time.
4: Well, I want to thank you for joining us. Incredible interview. Once again, you want to promote the man's, uh... Yeah, we've got to tr- make sure you check out Trash Cam Live. Uh, like, subscribe, hit that bell. Make sure you, uh, you follow him. And come visit them Saturday, uh, for autographs and pictures and load up Eric Sim's purse with lots of money.
3: Feed me money!
4: I want to thank you again, sir. Quite the gentleman, quite the story, quite the man. Thank you. This has been Mike Monty. This is Bruce filling in for Daniella, who will be back on Thursday. Jo- yeah. We'll see you on Thursday with the world's number one pro wrestler broadcast, Monty and the